I'm excited about today uh, for what God's going to speak to us. But before I do, I, I want to take just a moment just to, to say this, you know, uh, tomorrow is a really significant day uh, where we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And for me, that's, yeah, come on. Um, for me, for me, it's a really special day because for, the, for as long as I can remember, I, I, don't, I don't even remember when, maybe it was 15, 16, 17 years ago, uh, I got my hands on uh, a few books uh, that were the sermons that Dr. King uh, preached uh, during his lifetime, and uh, I began to read through some of these sermons, and the content was so rich, uh, and it really inspired me even as a, as a young communicator, and uh, so I began to grow this really real affinity towards Dr. King and just what he stood for, uh, for justice and equality uh, and those things, but it, it, really, it, it really became um, something really special to me. When I, when I was able to make a trip to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, uh, and maybe you've never been to the South before. Listen, if for no other reason other than our barbecue in the South uh, and, uh, and, 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 and being able to go and experience some of the culture and things, you gotta go down to the South, get to Memphis, and go to the Civil Rights Museum. It will literally, it will change your life. I remember walking through the Civil Rights Museum and experiencing a range of emotions like in one sense I could not stop crying because I looked at all these pictures on the wall and all these videos that were being played and I, I had I felt the weight of um, the injustice that happened that has happened for so many so many years and I began to look at the color of my skin and the color of the skin of the people that were the oppressors and those that had hurt so many people of other races and other colors it, it literally, I was ashamed. I, I felt a moment where I was like, I wish that I could just go and hide in this moment or no one could see the color of my skin. I was embarrassed to be white, if I'm honest, for a moment. And then I continued to journey through it and, and the tears changed from tears of, of feeling a little ashamed of being, uh, being white and having seen so many oppressors and so many people with so much anger and hate and injustice. All of a sudden it shifted towards tears of inspiration. I felt so inspired by the different people throughout generations that have taken a stand for righteousness, taken a stand for justice, taken a stand for equality uh, and for peace and for unity. And it was like this, the craziest range of emotions and it all escalated to this moment in the Lorraine Motel. Uh, and if you know our history, that was where Dr. King was assassinated right there um, on, the, on the, the little walk, kind of bridgeway right there, right outside of his hotel room. And so I was, I remember standing there in, uh, in this motel room, and they have everything still situated the way it was the day that he was murdered, and I had uh, worship playing, and I just, I just paused. It was like this holy moment, and I just listened to worship with tears streaming down my face, and I just, I made a commitment in that moment that I would always honor the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but that I'd also, I would commit my life to preaching the gospel and preaching that uh, all people are created equal and that, that all people uh, deserve justice and deserve equality and that we should pursue peace and love and righteousness and justice. And it was an amazing moment for me. And so tomorrow for me is a really special day. I wish I was going to be here. I'm leaving to go out of town uh, tonight to go speak at a church tomorrow and Tuesday. But this weekend, it's, it's going to be great. There's a few, I think, festivals and things that are going on in our city. And so if you get a chance, make sure that you're a part of that. But I wanted to take a moment today 
say um, as a pastor of our church and say this, that we're committed uh, to racial reconciliation. We're committed uh, to seeking justice for all people, equality for all people. We're, we're committed to that. That's very important to us. We believe that we believe in the imago dia, which is the image of God. Every single human being has been created in the image of God. Amen. Every person, every single person, every race, every religion, every background, they're, they're created in the image of God. Every person matters to God, and so they matter to us. So I want to take a moment, and uh, could we pray? Because if you watch the news, uh, it can be depressing at times. But if, if you see some of the things that are going on in our nation and in our world, it can be discouraging. It can feel a little hopeless. But because we have Jesus, we have hope. Because we, we have God, we have hope. And so I want to pray um, in regards to, to racial reconciliation in our nation and pray that, that, that God would give all of us a heart for all people and that we would not be silent, but we would stand up for righteousness, justice, and for peace. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. And God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. God, we know that he wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. But when we look at his life and his legacy, we are so inspired. God, may we live a life in such a way that we help other people find freedom and equality. God, that we would live our life in such a way that we do not... Um, we do not fight evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. What a, an example of a leader, a godly leader that did that, overcoming evil with good. And God, I thank you that we have, as a nation, we've come a very long way, but we're not there yet. And so right now, we just pray as a church and as a faith community, God, that you would continue um, to reconcile, God, the differences that people have. You can you continue, God, to to birth love in people's hearts for one another, God, that we would continue to overcome evil with good, God, that we would continue to have a dream like Dr. King had, to see all people equal and all people receive justice and all people be respected and honored and all people would, would be given their dignity, God, that we would see that, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for today. I pray that tomorrow that our nation would be reminded that we have come a long way, but we'd also be reminded that we have a long way to go. And may we all take the responsibility, God, to, to take the steps that we can take, that we would not be silent, that we would take a stand for justice and for righteousness and peace, and that we would truly be a colorblind people. God, that all we would see is red, which is the blood of Jesus. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. We thank you today that you're going to speak to us through your word, and we thank you that there are no great preachers, only the great gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, once you clap your hands. Amazing, amazing. If you have your Bibles, why don't you uh, flip over to Romans chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I have a lot of different scriptures and things that, that I'm going to share with you uh, in a few different points. But today begins our collection of talks entitled uh, Uphill Habits, Uphill Habits. And, and here's basically the thesis of, um, of this entire collection is this, is most people have, have uphill hopes. We have uphill hopes. That is that we, we have these uphill hopes of our marriage being better, our finances being better, our work situation being better, our children being better. Can I get an amen from all the parents in the house? We have these uphill hopes, but the reality is, as humans, we oftentimes find ourselves with downhill habits. We have these habits that tend to pull us down, drag us down, and keep us back from the hopes of our heart. For our marriage to be better, for our finances to be better, for our our physical bodies to be better, to be a bit healthier. Uh, we have these hopes. In 2018, I'm sure that you probably, you know, you do what most people do. You write down some of your hopes. We call those goals or resolutions. 
you have these things that usually maybe they last for about a week or, or, or 20 days or 30 days. Amen. Um, so you, we, we all probably in this room, we have these hopes, these uphill hopes. But the reality is, is many times we find ourselves with downhill habits, keeping us from uh, the hopes that we have. Our life is really built uh, by the habits that we have. You know, Duke University, I read this study the other day, Duke University years ago said that, watch this, 60% or 65% of your actions every single day, 65% of them are simply habits. They're not even decisions. Like if you put your, your right shoe on before your left shoe, you didn't make that decision. It was a habit. You just did it. We all have these habits that we, 65, 67% of these habits that we just do every single day. You didn't make a decision, you just did it. It's what you've always done. Your brain has now been wired with those habits. So how do you, how do you change those? We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. I love what Aristotle said. I quoted this in our legacy collection, but he, Aristotle said this. We are what we repeatedly do. No, that is, that you're the sum total of the habits, the things that you do every single day. Every single day. You are the sum total of those habits. I wrote it in my journal like this. You form your habits, but your habits form you. We form our habits. We make a decision what our habits are going to be, and we begin to, to, to apply those things to our life regularly and consistently. And over a long period of time, our habits begin to actually shape us and form us. We form our habits, but our habits form us. And as a church, I got to tell you that as a church, our deepest desire is this, is to see your life transformed into the image of Jesus. As a matter of fact, we actually say that our mission as a church is to see every person reach their full potential in Jesus Christ. That is that we want to see your life every year change and be transformed more and more and more. Not into the image of a personality like a pastor, but into the image of a person, Jesus. We want to see your life change. We want to help you sort through the habits that may be dragging you down and help you establish the habits that could drive you forward and push you forward into all that God has for you. We want to see you reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. And so we have discussions like this about your habits. See, I see myself, honestly, I see myself as a tour guide, is that when people come into my life, I see that God has graced me and gifted me as a leader and as a shepherd, as a pastor, to be able to come alongside people, literally and figuratively, take them by their hand and help them step by step, take take uh, progress, uh, make progress in moving forward in their relationship with Jesus so that they can live their wildest dreams, so that they can reach their full potential. We see that. That is our role as a church, as a church community, as, as a leadership team. We want to help you make every single step that, that you need to make so that you can live the life that God intends for you to live. Now, here's the thing, that in order to do that, in order to, uh, to address bad habits and to, to establish new habits, Here's what that takes. It takes you getting out of your comfort zone. Now, now this is the hard part, because over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about different things that I'm just going to be candid with you. They may challenge you. That's okay. God forbid that we come to church and we are challenged, <laughs> okay? Like, like when I read God's word, it challenges me. It, it, it stretches me. It forces me to confront things in my life that do not look like Jesus. And so for the next few weeks, you may feel challenged but that's okay. Listen, write this down. Your capacity will never increase in your current comfort zone. Your capacity. You want your capacity to, to increase spiritually, financially, physically, emotionally, in any area of your life. If you want your capacity 
to increase. That is that you want to grow in any area of your life. It will force you to confront your comforts and to step outside of your comfort zone if you're going to grow, if you're going to increase your capacity. This is true financially. Listen, if you want to increase your capacity financially, guess what? You may have to make some uncomfortable cuts in your personal budget. You want to increase your capacity relationally? Listen, it may take you getting uncomfortable and, and going to a small group or, or introducing yourself to someone walking across the room and, and those moments where you get the little sweaty things under your arm, little red splotches on your neck, because you, it would be so much easier just to go home, get in your car, or go somewhere else, but instead you have to kind of put yourself out there. That's uncomfortable. But if you want to grow your relational capacity, you've got to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone physically oh god don't even get me started on this one okay listen you want to increase your capacity and i don't mean like get bigger like this i mean like get smaller like this maybe bigger like this and and get healthier you want to increase your capacity you want to grow physically you want to you want to grow in your your physical health i can tell you this monday through friday going to the gym before you go to work that is going to be uncomfortable can you say amen that's gospel right there okay i'm telling you that straight up spiritually listen you want to increase your capacity spiritually? It, it, will, it will call you to, to confront your comforts and to step outside of your comfort zone. I was thinking about this. I asked my, my sister permission to share this with you. I always try to ask my family permission when I use them <laughs> as illustrations in my, my sermons. Uh, I usually am pretty good about that. Every once in a while, I forget to ask for permission, and my wife lets me, she lets me know it. Um, but I asked my sister, I said, could I share this? Some of you, you, you may not know this, but on the opening day of our church, September 17th, we were cleaning up everything, and, and someone had mopped a certain area of, of the school and, uh, and did not put one of those little signs out, you know, and my sister walked in, and she slipped because the floor was slippery, and she fell on her knee, and she shattered her kneecap. Yeah, it was really bad, and, um, and my sister, if you know my sister, she is, uh, she's got tons of energy. She loves to work. She loves to, to do everything. She's all over the place. As a matter of fact, she's sitting right over here, and, uh, and I asked her, could I share this, because I remember going to, with her to her rehab. She had a surgery, it was this really tough surgery, and she's been in rehab, and I remember going with her to, to, to rehab, and basically her, her leg, she could not bend her leg like this because it was basically after surgery, it just was stiff. And they told her, they said, listen, every single week, this is gonna be new, it's gonna be, this is rehab, this is rehabilitation, but it's also, it's creating new habits coming here every single week, and you're gonna have to start bending. Now think about this, bending your knee, just like 5%, 10%. I think I went with her when she was at about 60%. It needs to go to what, 140, 140%. I went with her when it was about 60, and I remember the pain that she went through. I mean, huge crocodile tears streaming down her face. I'm like crying. I'm like, oh, you're going to make it. You know, I'm just like, it's one of the most emotional things. But every single week, if she wanted to increase her capacity, her knee capacity, she had to get uncomfortable. She had to stretch. She had to challenge herself. Listen, I'm telling you, in the same way, in any area of your life this year in 2018, if you don't like the capacity of 2017 that you had in any area of your life, listen, it will force you, if you're going to grow, if you're going to increase, you're going to have to be willing to feel uncomfortable in some areas. You're going to have to be willing to do it. Now listen, if you want to have the same year that you had last year, just do the same thing. But if you want to see something different in your life, you're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to challenge 
yourself, and we're going to be talking about that. Now, it's going to be a challenge, some of the things that we say, but write this down. Everything, everything worthwhile is uphill. You want a worthwhile marriage? That's not going to be easy. You want kids that are like uphill kids, like, like great kids? You want, you, it, it's going to be hard. J just, it's going to be a challenge. Just know this. You want to have uphill finances? It's going to challenge you. It's, it, it's uphill. Everything that's worthwhile, it is uphill, and it will challenge you. Now, here's the thing. As, as many of you know, I am from Louisiana, and uh, in Louisiana, we, we tell Cajun jokes. I am Cajun, uh, but I'm now I'm Californian. I'm a Cajun Californian, and we, we tell Cajun jokes. There's a few people from Louisiana that are actually here today. Anybody, if you're from Louisiana, will you make a little bit of noise? A little got a couple Cajuns in the house. So you got a few, few Cajun people in the house. Uh, they're, they're, those are the crazy people. I did that for your, so you would know. If you heard anybody make that noise, they're crazy. Stay away from them, okay? If they have a small group, don't go to theirs. I'm kidding, okay? They'd be eating crawfish and, and you know, hero riding the church. Anyway, uh, but we tell something called Boudreaux jokes. These are Cajun jokes. Boudreaux is a, a Cajun last name, and I got this one from one of my mentors, and I love it. I thought I would share it with you. This is, a, this is a Boudreaux joke about excuses, because I think that anytime you're called to a challenge, it's easy to make excuses. So I want to share this with you right here. Boudreaux was driving and swerving all over the highway. He was pulled over by a Louisiana state trooper. The trooper said, Boudreaux, we have a problem. I'm going to need you to take a breathalyzer test. Boudreaux said, I can't do that. Trooper said, why not? Boudreaux said, because I've got asthma. Trooper said, well, then you're going to have to go to the station. I'm going to give you a blood test. Boudreaux said, I can't do that. Trooper said, why not? He said, because I'm hemophiliac. I'll bleed everywhere. Trooper said, okay, well, we're going to have to give you a urine test. <laughs> the trooper said, uh, we're going to give you a urine test. Boudreaux said, well, we can't do that. Trooper said, why not? Boudreaux said this, because I'm a diabetic and it won't give you a good reading. Trooper said, well, then, you're going to have to walk down this straight line. Boudreaux said, I can't do that. Trooper said, why not? He said, because I'm drunk. <laughs> Come on, tell somebody right now, say, no excuses in 2018. No excuses. Listen, it's going to be a challenge. If you want to see your uphill hopes come to fruition, it's going to be a challenge, and you have to refuse in 2018 to be a person of excuses. We will make no excuses this year. So what is it going to take in this uphill journey for all of us if we're going to see the hopes of our heart fulfilled? If we're going to see our marriage become all that it should be, our life become all that it should be in 2018, if we want to see ourselves go to new heights from glory to glory, if we want our life to get better and better and better, what's it going to take? Here's the first thing. We need hope for the future. We need hope for the future. Look what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. It says, for I know, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. How many believe that God has a plan for your life? God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Watch this, plans to give you a hope and a future. God wants to give you a hope and a future. Some of you coming here today, you're like, I have no hope for my marriage. Listen, God has hope for your marriage. I have no hope for my finances. God has hope for your finances. I have no hope for my children. God has hope for your children. So ask God to give you hope, to give you a future. Here's why this is important. Here's why I say this. You will, you will never create healthy habits in your life unless you have a reason to have them. You have to have a hope for those habits. You'll, you'll, if you don't have a vision for where God wants to take you, you'll never create new habits in your life. You have to have a hope for a better day, for a brighter future. You've got to have that for your marriage. I believe you need to have that for every area of your life. Here's why. You need to have vision for every area of your life because of this. The clearer the vision, 
the fewer the options, the easier the decisions. When you get a clear vision, a hope for your future, a hope for your marriage, a hope for your business, a hope for your education, a hope for your finances and your health and your spirituality, when you get a hope for your future and you get vision, I'm telling you what, the vision gets clear, the options get few, the decisions get easy, and you can begin to take steps farther and you can go higher than you've ever been before. You gotta have a hope and you gotta have a future. You gotta have a hope for your future. For some of you, this is what my prayer was as I was preparing this message. I thought, there's some people that are here today, that will be here today, that they have lost hope. That they have lost hope for fill in the blank, for, for different areas of their life. And I'm praying that by the end of this service, that God, in a supernatural way, I believe He can do it, in a supernatural way, He will restore your hope. And that you will believe that there is a future. It's not final, it's not over. If you're still breathing, there is still hope. Can somebody say amen? amen. Um, number two is this. What is it going to take to see those uphill hopes become a reality? It's going to take not just a hope for your future, but it's going to take repentance from your past. It's going to take repentance from your past. I, I want to I unpack that word repentance because it has so much baggage with it, especially in like a city like this. You know, you, you, maybe you've seen those people, the crazy Christians, so-called Christians, with the giant signs that they hold up that says, repent, you know, you're going to burn in hell. Like, what an encouraging message, right? Just repent, like just yelling and screaming at people. Like, I don't know if that's ever really produced any fruit, um, but that's not our strategy here. <laughs> it's like, repent, you wicked, no good, and, you know, it's terrible, right? <clears throat> but the word repent, repentance is simply this, repentance is a change in thinking that results in a change of living. Repentance is, is actually changing your mindset. Sometimes the problem with our reality is the, the problem with our thinking. It's the reason our, we, we're experiencing what we're experiencing. Is, it's a mindset. Joyce Meyer says it like this. It's the battlefield of the mind. Uh, the scriptures say in Proverbs, where the mind goes, the man follows. Where the mind goes, the woman follows. Where your thoughts go... That's where you're going to go. And so that's why scripture talks about it in Romans 12, to renew your thinking, to renew your mind. If you can get a new mindset, you can actually see a new life. You can see a new marriage. You can see new things, but you, it starts right here. You've got to get in the right mindset. Repentance is changing the way you're thinking so you can change the way that you are living. Now, here, here's what I was thinking about in this regard. Repentance from your past. I want you to think back to 2017, 2016, over the last few years of your life. What is one area in your life that if that area changed, everything would change? What, what, is, what is one area of your life in 2017 that you, when, when you look back and you take inventory, you're like, that was just, that, that area of my life was just not so good. And if that was different, if that could change, if that could go to the next level, my whole life could go to the next level. I know what my one area is. I'm gonna, I'm, this is just confession session. Patience. Oh, dear Lord. That's the one. It's written on my shower and real big. Patience. I have those aqua notes I've told you about. Don't let another thought go down the drain. You know, like don't let another great idea go down the drain. I write them on a piece of paper and I stick them to the wall so that I see it every day and I pray about it. My word is patience. Last year, I was impatient with people, impatient with my own, the dreams of my heart, impatient with many things. And I feel like God said, patience is what I want to work in you. And if patience can go to the next level in your life, everything can go to the next level in your life. So what about you? What's the one area? If that thing changed, everything could change. Is it integrity? 
Is it the way that you speak to your wife? Is it the way that you, 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 you lead at work? You're just domineering and you're like a dictator at work and you're just controlling people or you're a micromanager? What is, what is the area? If that one area in your life, if you could confront it and allow God to challenge you, allow the Holy Spirit to stretch you, and if you could just take the steps and climb uphill and begin to create a new habit in your life, if that could change, everything would change. What is that area? Because God's called you to see it differently, to think about it differently, so that your living can change. It's repentance. It's see it and say, I'm going to deal with this this year, and I'm never going back. This area will change in my life. It's going to take repentance from your past. Here's the third thing it's going to take. It's going to take formation of uphill habits. Formation of uphill habits. It's not enough to have hope. You've got to have habits. It's not enough to have a vision. You've got to have a strategy. Vision without a strategy is just a pipe dream. It'll never happen. You've got to have some systems in place, something in place that you can begin to practically and strategically take steps forward. Look what it says in Romans chapter 12. This is a great to, to a set of two verses that you could really allow guide you in 2018. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Paul says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. How many you, you just would just say right now, I need God's help in 2018. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Watch this. Take your everyday ordinary life. Your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life every day, your ordinary day. And watch this, and place it before God as an offering. That is, submit your life to God. Bring all of your not life, not just, listen, not just Sunday from 1030 to 1145. Bring all of your life, bring your finances, bring your work, bring, bring your schedule, Bring your, your inadequacies, your weaknesses, your successes, your strengths, every area of your life, and bring it before God. Present it before God. Place it before him as an offering. Watch this. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. See, that's grace. Grace is this. It's not what you can do for God and offer to him. It's what God has already done for you. You receive what he's already done for you. And watch this. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture, the culture where you live, the culture of our nation, the culture of this kingdom, the culture of your workplace. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't, don't be so formed by the pressures and the pleasures of the people around you and the culture you live in that it begins to actually shape you. He's like, you've got to resist that. Don't be formed by the culture around you. He says instead, watch this, fix your attention on God. You know, while we're doing this 21 days of prayer and fasting right now, we're fixing our attention on God. It says, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. See, religion says, let's change you from the outside in. It never worked. But the gospel says God will change you from the inside out. He'll change the way you believe, and then he'll change the way you behave. See, religion says, change the way you behave, change the way you behave. Religion sa or Christianity says, no, 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 no. The gospel says, no, no, it's not, it's not behavior modification. That's not what we're doing here. It's get a heart arrested by the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It's when you do that, when, when, when your heart gets filled with a love for God, God will begin to change you from the inside out. Fix your attention on God. You'll, you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. 
What a great way to, to live your life every day saying, God, what do you want? What do you want in my life? God, what do you want for me in my finances? What do you want for me with my children? What do you want for me? God, what is your will for my life? What is your desire? Not what's my will. What is your will for my life? Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Don't be slow to respond. Slow obedience is no obedience. Quickly respond. Unlike the culture around, culture around you, always dragging you down. This is the culture around us. Always dragging us down to its level of immaturity. Then it says God brings the best out of you. And he develops well-formed maturity in you. Well-formed maturity. So how do we do that? How do, how do we get these habits in our life that will begin to shape us from the inside out? I want to give you the first habit. And uh, I'm only going to unpack these for just a moment and give you some really practical things. This is just setting up the collection over the next couple weeks that we'll be talking about. But here's the first habit. Habit number one. Next week, we'll give you habit two. Habit number one, focus on what we do first. First, I'm going to explain that for a moment. The Bible teaches about this principle. It's the principle of the first. The principle of the first is from Genesis, really all the way to Revelation. You'll see it threaded throughout it. Now, many prosperity preachers and many just people that try to manipulate people by leveraging, uh, taking little verses out of Scripture, just preach and hound, out, hound in on First, uh, the principle of the first being about money and just saying you got to tithe or God's going to curse you or if you tithe and God's it's like rubbing a you know a, like a little Aladdin little what is that little thing it's like you know a little there you go that little thing and then it's like you, you just you just you do this and God's going to do this that's not how God works listen you don't you do this and God does this God is so much bigger like would God ever be in debt to us by us just doing something this little thing over here think about that that is ridiculous but the principle of the first is so much bigger than just money it's actually about what Romans 12 says, every single area of your life. I wrote this down. I can tell a lot about you by what you do first. What's the first thing you do in the morning? What's the first thing you do when you're alone? What's the first thing you do when you get to work? Coffee. Hey. What's the first thing you do when you get home from work? What's the first thing you do when you get paid? What's the first thing you do when somebody hurts you? What's the first thing you do when you're corrected or confronted by somebody in leadership? You can tell a lot about a person by what they do first. That's why the Bible, throughout it, it calls us to live what I call a God-first life. Here's the first thing. If you want to know what the Bible teaches for us to do, is to put God first. Somebody say God first. We put God first in our life. Listen, I wrote this down in my journal. If God is in your life, listen, this is a strong statement. If God is in your life, but he's not first in your life, then he's not in your life. <laughs> Let me say that again. If God is in your life, but he's not first in your life, then he is not actually in your life. If God is on the list of things you value in your life, but he's not at the top of the list, then you don't really value him in your life. See, Christianity is not about going to church. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not even about being baptized or filling out a connection card or being in a small group. It's not about being dedicated or christened or having water sprinkled on you or being dunked under the water. It's not about Bible reading. It's not about serving. It's not about tithing. Biblical Christianity, following Jesus, watch, it's simply the reordering of your life to where God is first. If God's not first, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. This may not be popular, but this is biblical. This is, this, this is it. This is, this is the thing. 
God says, if I'm going to be in your life, I need you to make me the first priority in your life. When I do people's weddings, I'll perform weddings. Uh, many times I marry and bury, okay? I'm from, from birth to death, I'm, I'm there with you, okay? I'm a part of the journey. One of the things I say whenever I'm marrying people is this, I look at the husband in his eyes and I say, listen, I don't want your wife to be the first love of your life. I want her to be number two. And I look at the wife and I, uh, the, the bride and I say, I do not want this guy to be the number one love of your life because you will never love him the way he should be loved. He's gotta be number two. The number one love of our life has got to be God, and everything else has got to overflow out of that, that love, prioritizing him, saying, God, you are first. It's not family first. People say family first. No, 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 no. It's God first. Family second. Everything else is somewhere else down the list. It is God first. God has got to be first in your life, and that, we, we have to reshuffle and reorder our life to where God is the very first thing in our life. Matthew 6, Jesus said it like this. He was teaching people that were struggling with finances, dealing with worry and anxiety about what they're going to eat, where they're going to live, and how they're going to provide, and all those things. And this is what Jesus said to him: Don't worry about all that stuff. He says, but first, and most importantly, seek his kingdom, capital H, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. Watch this. And all these things, the job, the promotion, the house, the car, all that stuff, I'll take care of all that. He says, all these things, they'll be given to you also. Don't stress out about that. Just seek me first. You know, I I don't have a collar on today, but we wake up early to get this whole thing set up. We get here at 6 a.m. Some guys get up at 3.30 a.m. to start running these trailers and getting all the equipment here. And, you know, what I found is, is it's hard to wake up early, early, early in the morning. Some of you, how many of you in here, you're like, your habit is you like to wake up early in the morning? like three of you. I love this church. What's in the head is in the body. Amen, church. It's like we're all the same. We we don't like to wake up early. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered a trick. Um, I I, I remember one time I I got dressed. My wife is still in bed, and I'm trying to be, you know, quiet and sensitive, let her rest, get her beauty sleep. And so I'll sneak into the closet right there, and I'm, I'm, sometimes I have to get dressed in the dark, you know. And and one time I put on a button-down shirt, and then I showed up at work. Um, and someone commented there, like, you need to, you, you need to, you need to fix that. You, you, you need to fix that. And I looked down, and my shirt, because I, I got dressed in the dark, I, un, I buttoned it up wrong. I missed a button, and it was open right here, and my belly button was showing. <laughs> it was a terrible sight. I mean, I think I scarred people. It's like a little hairy bagel. It's like just <laughs> disgusting. But I found a trick. You never believe this. I found a trick. I go in my closet, and if I button the top button first, I can, I can have my eyes closed, button the top button, and then everything lines up. You know what I think? I think that if you and I, if we'll just put God first, we get, get that right, everything else in our life lines up. You wonder why your relationships don't line up? God's not first. You know what you seek first? A companion instead of God. You know why your finances don't line up? Because you don't put God first in your finances. You know why you don't have peace in your life and it's chaos all day long and it feels like you're, you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off? It's because God's not first. Listen, if you put God first, everything else in your life just seems to add up, seems to line up. Amen? I gotta, I gotta hurry up. Um, 
Let me give you these last. Can I give you these last two things? So how do we do that? How do we put God first? We give God the first of everything. Of everything. You see, a lot of times, I, I grew up in a church where people just talked about get, putting God first in your finances. So it's like, you come to church and you give God your tithe and first 10% of your income. And, and, and that was, a lot of times, the principle of the first was reduced down to just money because a lot of times churches are just about money. Now let me tell you this, what I'm about to tell you right here is not because I want anything from you. I want something for you. Even if you never give one dime to our church, it's not about that. I want to see every one of you put God first in every area of your life because I believe this, if you'll do that, it doesn't matter if you stay a part of our church. It doesn't matter if, you can, if, you, if you're here for one year or five years or 10 years. If I can get you to get this, putting God first in every area of your life, your life will radically be changed. Your marriage will be better. Your family will be better. Your workplace will be better. Everything in your life will be better because this is not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. I want to see you put God first in everything in your life. Leviticus 27, look, look what it says. This is, it uses the word a tithe. Tithe simply means, it means 10%. And for the Jewish people of God, they would do this. When they would receive, uh, whenever they would, it was an agricultural term, whenever they would, they would have crops come in, they would take right off the top 10% of not just 10% of any part of the crop, 10% of the best of their crop. The first 10 and the best 10. It was the first and the best. They would take that and they would offer it to God as an offering. But look what it says in Leviticus 27. He says, a tithe of everything. Notice that, not just your money, not just, you know, your crops, but a tithe of everything from the land, everything. It says, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, all of it belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Take a tithe of everything in your life. Why? Here's why. Deuteronomy 14 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. You know why I tithe? I don't tithe because God needs my money. He doesn't need my money. He's God. And I don't make a lot. I'm a pastor. I have tithe of my resources and of my time, of every area of my life. I've done my best to say, God, I'm going to give you the first and the best of every area of my life. I'm going to bring it to you. Here's why I do it, because it teaches me to put him first. It's a teacher. Tithing is a teacher. The principle of the first is a teacher. It's a trainer. It trains your life. It's a habit that over time, it just becomes second nature. I don't even think about giving 10% of my resources anymore. I don't even think about waking up in the morning and, and, and tithing some of my day and giving it to God. You know why? Because it's just become a part of my life. It's a routine, and it's trained me to put the Lord first in my life. Because the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Listen, if the habit of tithing isn't, a, excuse me, if the habit of tithing isn't just about money, then how do we apply it in our life? Here's the areas I want to give to you right here. Give God the first of your year. Give God the first of the year. That's why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you're not in this prayer and fasting season right now, I want to encourage you. Jump into it now. Start somewhere. Give, him, give God one day or three days. Fast and pray, and here's what you say. God, I'm going to give you the beginning of my year. I'm going to give you the first and the best of my year. Believing, God. God, that I'm, as I'm putting you first, that you're going to bless every area of my year. You're going to do what Psalm says. You're going to crown my year with blessing. You're going to crown my year with harvest. And you give him the first, and you give him the best. Here's the second thing. Give God the first of your month. This is a new one. My wife and I are going to start doing this um, starting this month, is sitting down with your spouse, or maybe you're not married, by yourself, and laying out your finances and your calendar, and saying, God, 
I want to make sure that my finances and my schedule reflect you as a priority in my life. And you look at it. Say, if every day is spent on all these other things, but nothing is spent on investing in the kingdom of God, God, then I don't know if I can say you're a priority. Or if all my resources go towards H&M, God, I don't know if you're necessarily a priority. If all my resources go towards eating out or just towards housing, which in here in San Francisco, that's a lot of it. God, God I want to make sure my, my resources and my schedule, it reflects that you are first in my life. Give God the first, here's another one, of your week. Give him the first of your week. How can you do that practically? You've already done it right here. This is tithing your week right here. This is putting God first at the beginning of of your week. The Jewish people would take their Sabbath on Saturday, but then the early church changed it to Sunday. Why? Because they didn't want to honor God at the end of their week. They wanted to honor God at the beginning of their week. And I want to say as a pastor, thank you for putting God first on Sunday and making this a priority. But listen, this is not just about church attendance. You need to have a Sabbath every week. The beginning of your week, have a Sabbath. And you not just worship with other Christians, but you rest. Some of you work seven days a week. Listen, we're in San Francisco. I get it. Grind, grind, grind. Hustle, hustle, hustle. But scripture tells us you can do more giving God one day and you work in six than you work in seven. Rest. It's about hustle, but it's also about health. It's about embracing the tension between health and hustle. We give God the first of our week. Come to church, be a part of worship, and then rest. And here's the last one. You can, give God, you can give God the first of your day. Give God the first of your day. Through taking the very beginning of your day, before you do anything else, before you go to Facebook, hey, before you do anything else, carve out some time, maybe just 15 minutes, and give God the beginning of your day. Say, God, I want to honor you first. I want to put you first in my schedule. Maybe take 15 minutes, five minutes to worship, five minutes to read God's word, and five minutes maybe to journal or to meditate on what you've read. And what I'm gonna do is, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to actually, maybe you already have a a way that you do this. I'm gonna teach you the strategy by, by which that I use on every morning of my life how I come before God and I I lean into him and I listen to him and he speaks to me. And it's gonna be very simple, but it's gonna be very powerful. And if you don't know how to hear from God, I'll teach you how to hear from God. If you don't know how to study your Bible, I'll teach you how to study your Bible. If you don't know how to pray, I'll teach you how to pray. We're gonna go over that in the next couple of weeks, the habit of of feeding on God's word and hearing from God, and it's gonna be amazing. So let me give you this last point and I'll pray for you. If you give God the first of everything, what will happen? Number three, you can expect God to bless the rest. If you give God your best, he will bless the rest. Proverbs 3 says, in all your ways, all your ways, everything, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 3 says, honor God with everything, your own, everything you own. Give him the first and the best. There it is, the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will, over, will brim over. In other words, if you give God your best, he will bless the rest. Amen? Come on, why not you clap your hands this morning? It's great. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is, 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 uh, is I really do believe that if you'll give God just an, this year, just if you, maybe you've never done this before, if you'll give God this year you say, you know what, I'm going to give this thing a try. I'm going to put God first in every area of my life. He's not just going to be on the list, but in every area of my life. I believe that at the end of this year, you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh my goodness, why did I, why did I not do this before? 
Why did I wait this long? Every area of my life is better. Am, am I saying it's gonna be easy? No, it's uphill. It's gonna be hard. I'm not saying that if you start doing all these things that, that things are not gonna challenge you in your life, like maybe get sick. or I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that, that if you'll put God first, it's amazing what God can do in your life. Amen? I'll finish with, with this little story. Um, Jennifer and I, in January of this time last year, we said, we're going to put God first through fasting and praying and saying, God, you get the first of our year. We're going to give you our best. We're going to give you our first. You get the first of our year. And we were praying and fasting and believing God for, for this church and for housing. That was a big one for us. And I was reluctant to share this with you because I don't want, to, I don't want you to think that if you do this, you get that. This isn't the point of the story. Um, but we felt like God said, fast and pray for this new journey because 2017 is going to be a big year. And so we began to do that. And I remember it was a challenge. It was uphill because it was January in San Francisco, and we were looking for a house. It was this past January. It was raining nonstop. Remember that? It was raining like crazy. It was cold, and uh, we didn't have raincoats or umbrellas, and we were marching around the city looking for a house. We looked, for, we looked at like 50 houses in one day, and it was so discouraging. We still owned a house in Dallas, Texas, so we were paying that mortgage. But we needed to move to San Francisco to start this church. So it was January. We owned a house. We're looking for a house. And we did not realize how expensive the market was here. I mean, we knew it was expensive. But we didn't know it was like double what we paid in Dallas. And again, I'm a pastor. I make tons of money, right, <laughs> in the ministry. It's not, you know, if I wanted to make it a lot of money, maybe I should have been a doctor. But so we get here, and, and I'm, 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 we're, going, we're going around looking at these houses. And I got to tell you, I was so discouraged. I remember thinking, like, God, why did you not call me to some really inexpensive place that we could afford? Like, this makes no sense. But every single morning, I felt like I need to put God first, and I need to, before my feet, this is what I remember praying, before my feet even touch the ground, I want to put him first and trust that he will take care of us. He will provide for us. And so every morning, I woke up, and before I got out of bed, I was actually standing at my sister's house, and I remember looking at the ceiling, and with tears streaming down my face, thinking, like, I don't know how we're going to do this, how we're going to pay for our mortgage in Dallas until this house sells, and how we're going to be able to survive here on the same income. I don't know how this is going to happen, God. And every morning, I just prayed and said, God, we need a miracle. And I'm showing you that we're putting you first through fasting and prayer and giving you the first of my day and the first of the year, believing that if I give you my first, if I give you my best, that you will bless the rest of our lives. And on the third day, there's something so interesting about the third day. It's when Jesus was resurrected anyway. Um, on the third day, Jennifer and I, I remember we were so cold because we were fasting and we were drinking green slimy juice. That was what the fast was. It was like we were just drinking juice. We were shivering at Westfield Mall at this little juice stand. And I get this call from this elderly couple. I didn't even know their last name. Okay, I didn't even know their last name. That's how well I knew them. I didn't even know the family. But I met them a couple times and went on a trip that they were on, and we kind of connected a little bit. Well, they, they messaged me on Facebook, said, can we call you? I gave them my number. They called me on the third day. We were sitting right there just wondering, like, crunching numbers. Some of you have been here before. You're crunching numbers, how we're going to make ends meet, how we're going to do this and this, and maybe I need, like, a side hustle so we can pay our bills. And, 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 and they call, and this older man, he goes, Jason, he goes, the last three days, uh, my wife and I, we could not stop thinking about your family. And we saw that you were looking for housing and needing a miracle and praying. And we felt like the Lord spoke to us and said to help you with your housing. 
and, and, I, and I kind of perked up there a little bit. Like, what did you say your last name was? Yeah. And they said, we felt, like, we felt like God spoke to us and said to bless your family and to help you so that you could go there and be a blessing to families in the city. And, uh, and, and, and this guy said to me, and, and I'm, I'm sharing this with you because there is a point to it, um, not to boast about this, but this guy says to me, this is the largest amount of money anybody has ever given to our family. But he said, um, he says, the Lord spoke to us a specific number, and that was to wire you tomorrow $40,000 to help you with your housing. And after I picked myself up off the ground, green juice all over me, you know, but um, I just, I mean, we were floored. We couldn't believe it. And we started to kind of do the math. And from when our house sold, our house sold like within, I think, a few days, from when our house sold and we got here, it essentially was the variance of what we were paying in Dallas to cover this entire year. And I share that with you. Yeah, come on. That's great. I was reluctant to share that because I'd never want it to sound like if you do this, God will do this. But here's what God did. This is the point. Here's what God did in us. It's way more important than the 40K because guess what? It's the end of the year. That 40K is gone, right? We need a new miracle. What was significant about that was we put God first and we gave him our best. And what he did was more than just provide for us, he did a work in us. And now he's developed a new place of maturity where now I'm not worried about this year. I really am not. God will provide. He proved, he showed me, I will provide all of your needs. And I, I don't know if I really truly believe that until I saw that miracle in my life. And so what I'm telling you is this, is this year, put God first and give him the best of every area of your life and watch. It's more than, more than him just giving you a promotion or more than him just providing something for you. I believe he's going to develop a maturity in you that's going to make you solid in your faith so that you will believe and trust God for anything. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, I just thank you for today. God, this, this I believe, is a word for us. God, to make a decision as followers of Christ to put you first. This is not a law. This is a principle. And when we put you first in our life, God, we just see it. Like, our lives just, they just go better. When I, when I put you first in my day, I just feel like my day goes better. Sometimes I still hit challenges and I still get tested and I still get tempted. But when you are first, God, it prioritizes everything else. And my life just seems to be better. It is an uphill challenge. But God, I know it's what you've called us to do. It's who you've called us to be. A group of people who, who don't just have you on a list, but a group of people who put you first in our life. And so today we commit to that. We honor you with our life in every area of Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this question today. If you say, Jason, I don't know Jesus. I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but today I want to make him first in my life, and I want to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you and you say, I need forgiveness of my sins, I need a fresh start and a new beginning, and a hope for my future today, if that's you, would you do this? I wouldn't embarrass you, but no one's looking around. We just quickly slip up your hand just so I can see if God spoke to you? Thank you. I saw, see the hand in the back and right here in the front. Anyone else? You say, I want to, I want to put God first in my life. Amazing. I want you to pray a prayer like this, and you don't have to pray it out loud if you don't want to, but something like this. Just say, Jesus, today I put you first in my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the grave. And today I put my faith in what you have done for me. I choose today to make you Lord of my life. I ask you to lead me. I ask you to guide me. 
I ask you to give me a fresh start and a new beginning in my life. I have uphill hopes, but I know that I'll never see those hopes happen without you, Jesus. And so today I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.